Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 75. Number 75, I can't believe it. The Mandolin's and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? Hope you guys are doing well. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet to uh, check out the new thing I've been doing on Instagram, I've been doing a kickoff, almost a kickoff a day. I've fallen a little bit behind. It's the 20th and I think 13 or 14 are up there, but I've been learning some of my favorite kickoffs that I have written out and then for the patreon people i've been putting them on the patreon page and putting the tabs up there and a slowed down version as well so if you want to support the podcast head on over to patreon i'd really appreciate it also subscribe to me on the social media and wherever you're listening to this podcast um i want to thank my sponsors peghead nation they have those killer streaming video courses a mandolin guitar banjo fiddle dobro ukulele and bass you can learn bluegrass old time and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music and you're going to get 30 days for free if you use the code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. And check out these instructors. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, Chad Manning. All high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation tab, and play-along tracks, and plenty of songs and tunes to play. So check out Peghead Nation. Also want to thank Northfield Mandolins. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out our website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Hey, Reggie, how you doing, buddy? I've got a dog nose in my pocket at the moment. Sorry about that. Also, Ear Trumpet Labs. Man, I love the Edwina microphone. Uh, what a killer microphone. Uh, they're hand-built in Portland, Oregon. They're beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. You've definitely seen them. You know what they look like. I just saw uh, Nick, uh, previous episode, doing some recording, and he had an Edwina out there, too. And then we also got ourselves Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. Pava Mandolins right there in Austin, Texas. This episode's a fun one. Justin Moses has got a brand new album coming out on Friday this week. Uh, you should check it out. It's amazing. We talk all about it here on the podcast along with how he started playing and, and all sorts of fun stuff. So let's get into it now. Go and buy that album. Cheers, everybody. Lord, I don't know which way I am. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Justin Moses. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Doing great. Um, I'm I'm so happy we found the time to do this. You have a brand new album coming out on Friday, and it's just incredible. It's Fall Like Rain. So first off, congratulations on that. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a, it's been, felt, feels like a, a while, you know, in the making, but uh, I'm happy to finally have people hear it. Yeah, it's excellent. How long, how long have you been working on it for? Well, I actually started uh, the tracking in uh, the week of Thanksgiving 2019. So it's, it's not that old, but you know, it's a, it's, it's been in the works for a while. <laughs> sure. I bet. Now there's, I mean, you have some crazy players on here too. I mean, you've, you've got uh, some of the cream of the crop playing along with you. Did you, were you able to record like in person with these people or with, did COVID kind of affect some of that stuff? 
Yeah, you know, luckily I got all the recording done before uh, any of the COVID stuff. So, uh, yeah, all, all of it, uh, most of the tunes I'll say were tracked, you know, with the band. I, I sort of built a couple of them at home and had some people play on them later. But, but you no, know, I'd say eight out of the ten songs probably were tracked in the studio with everybody. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Yeah, well, the funny thing is, well, it's not not really that funny, but, uh, you know, I, I finished basically because I did all the the mixing and everything on this record, you know, I, 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 decided, I decided I wanted to take that on and I finished it right before uh, the lockdown and everything. So <laughs> I was thinking, well, this would have been a great project to, uh, to have had ready to mix about that time, but um, I had just sort of finished all that up yeah was it hard for you to mix it knowing it was your album like is it tough to eventually just say that's enough i've got to stop (laughs) no it it really is hard to stop (laughs) yeah no it totally is and uh you know it's it's the thing that i've I've wanted to always be hands-on on on all that kind of stuff, you know, since I got into music and, you know, I made uh, albums with my family when I was really young and and made gospel albums with them in my teenage years. And I always wanted to be there for the mix and (laughs) all that. (laughs) So I've always, that's just been something that I've, I I love to do. You know, I'm not an expert by no, by any means, but, uh, I feel like every time I do it, I learn a whole lot, you know, and I feel like I learned a, a ton in the process of making this record. But um, no, that's the thing, though. What you said there, you you nailed it. It's uh, um, you could literally work on it forever, you know, and and always have little tweaks you can make. But uh, you know, I think there comes a point where you go, well, you know, could I make this? three percent better or <laughs> could I make it two more percent better? you know what i mean Absol- it, it, no absolutely definitely comes a point where you just go okay for this project for where i'm at right now i think this is it you know oh yeah the worst too is when you like you finish something and then you change it and then you change it and you're like i liked it better two mixes ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> right what did i do yeah, and then, yeah. oh and then i have for me like i said and not being a real expert I, I i can do that for sure and then then i have to figure out you know it's not like i can just necessarily always know exactly what to do it's a um, trial and error process for me a lot of times Oh, well, well, it sounds phenomenal. I mean, it's a great, I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear it. I know Taxland has been out for a bit. That was the first, was that the leadoff single for that? So we, we put out um, Fall Like Rain first, and then we, yeah, then we released Between the Lightning and Thunder, and then Tax Land was the, the third single from it. 
where you can't see it in the sky It's nothing that you did, no sense in asking why The wind begins to howl, the rain begins to pour That ain't all there is, there's gonna be much more Gotcha, wow, holy cow, you're... <laughs> that was the first so we, one that hit my radar. I, I um, it, it, it is a mind bender. It's the one that features the mandolin, so that makes sense why that would, would be the one. <laughs> yeah. <that's across>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And so a lot of people, people who are listening to this, they may know you though from, I, I mean, I don't want to say mandolin isn't your main instrument, but you... you you play a couple other instruments in some in some pretty large acts. You know what is yeah. what? What would you say leading up to this album um, for people listening uh, has been kind of like your main instrument for you that you would think you're probably most known for? You know, it's a hard question for me, and people people ask that all the time. Or ask <laughs> what favorite instrument? You know, those two questions and. I really don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> it's true. Like I, I love to play all of the bluegrass instruments and and my best answer is I, I love to play different instruments in different settings. So um, people might've seen me play banjo with Ricky Skaggs for a few years. That was something that I did. And then, you know, I've played fiddle in, uh, in Dan Tominsky's band and I played fiddle some, in Sierra's bluegrass band, you know, kind of filling in here and there and a little banjo with her. And I've played dobro in quite a few different settings, different bands, but um, mostly those three are the ones that I've played out more so than even guitar or mandolin. But I've been playing guitar out more with uh, Sierra on duo shows that we play together. Uh, And then, then the mandolin stuff with her, as well, so that's kind of I've I've made my way around to, to <laughs> playing all the bluegrass instruments, but just uh, it it just changes depending on who it's with. Well, you, well, you won the IBMA Dobro Player of the Year award tw- twice in right twenty eighteen and then this past year. That's right. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. It, it's always interesting those things are because you know uh, I'm. Jerry Douglas and Rob Bikes are heroes of mine, and um, they're just the tops in my book. And Andy Hall is somebody that I've uh, respected his playing, and he's he's awesome. I'm just—I mean, it sounds cliche to say to say the phrase, but I really was just you know honored to be nominated, you know, with with those guys, you know. I mean, you could be honored this year with this album. You could be honored on all the instruments, it looks like. <laughs> you, could, you might have to bring a wagon. <laughs> I appreciate that. I had a couple of people from IBMA joke that they, they will uh, try to invent a, a multi-instrumentalist of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. The first time I ever saw you playing where I know she made a Lynn playing was, was like a YouTube video with Sierra years ago. And I'm like, Oh, who's this Justin Moses guy. And then I'm like, Oh, this guy doesn't even play mandolin. Like that wasn't the first thing I could find from you. It was like all these other instruments. And then I'm like the video, it was so amazing that, you know, to, to play at that level that I've been, 
been a fan ever since then. So this is uh this is exciting to, to get my hands on the album early. So I do have to thank Maria over there um, for for helping me get a get an advanced copy of it. So good. Yeah, thanks, Maria. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's before we um before we talk a little bit more about the album, I'd love to find out. I mean, obviously you play all these all these instruments. And you had a musical family. Um, but when did the mandolin, I guess, kind of fall into your hands? Because again, like you play like a top tier mandolin player, like you were up there with all of them that, that I could think of. I mean, anybody who's <laughs> heard your name or seen you play, I mean, it's not a guy who plays other instruments and a mandolin. You know what I mean? Like you are a you're you're a mandolin player <laughs> so well, i love you know what? Uh, mandolin was actually my first instrument oh was it really so, yeah i feel uh you know a certain connection to it for sure uh, i i got interested in it when i was five years old i um think i just saw somebody playing it on tv my, my family like i said we played a lot of gospel music and they used to on sunday morning watch a a show on local NBC station there in, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I think we saw the primitive quartet play and my dad played guitar already. And I think just the fact that the mandolin was small, probably was what I <laughs> looked at and thought, you know, like, well, maybe I could do that. Um, and I told them, I thought that was cool and would like, like one for Christmas. And so <laughs> they ended up um, going in with my, my grandparents and my great grandmother and, and they all bought me a, a mandolin that year. Uh, and so I turned six years old. So I was six when I got it. And, uh, that's really what got me started in music was wanting to learn the mandolin. And my dad knew enough about it to teach me the first three chords. You know, he taught me G, C and D the first night that I ever got it. And then from there, like, he was able to teach me a few little tunes and stuff like that. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. After he had taught me as far as he could take me, he sort of, uh, he knew of another guy in town named Harley Millsaps that played, you know, several instruments and, uh, you know, he knew he knew a lot of tunes. And, uh, so he took me for lessons with him. And I, I think I only took about six or eight weeks of lessons from him and, but he taught me a bunch of tunes during that time. He would, uh, you know, I'd go out there with a cassette recorder and he would play, you know, several tunes at the end of the lesson for me for the next time. And then usually I would, you know, take them home. And most of the time I would come back sort of able to play them. And, and so he, he would always give me more. And, um, like I say, after that, really, after the six or eight weeks that I took lessons with him, Everything else is pretty much just by ear and watching and listening to people. Do you remember um, any of the songs that might have been the real tricky ones for you that gave you a heck of a time when you were first starting out? <laughs> I tell you, yeah. I remember one in particular was was Turkey and the Straw. Yeah, he played it out of 
A, and and for my fingers at the time, I remember it seeming like a, a stretch, even just to reach down to that six fret a um, couple of times. And uh, so that one seemed a little tricky for a little bit. And uh, I'd have to I'd have to think about it a little bit more to remember what else he gave me that might have might have been a challenge. But sure. what was the first mandolin that you got? What kind What kind were you playing then? You know, it was just uh, so they they all. Uh, went in together to get me and it was still it was like a cheap mandolin. I don't remember how much it cost exactly, but it was it was a brand that I'd never heard of and still don't know if I have to 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 this day. It's uh in it's like Antares or something, almost the uh, same brand as like the uh auto tune. Oh you know? God, are you really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that mandolin is uh they they have it right now at the Country Music Hall of Fame because they did a little display for me a couple of years ago um, after, I, well, I actually, you know, after I guess won the Dobro Player of the Year, but I didn't have a, a Dobro to give them to <laughs> play. And so um, they, they they displayed that little mandolin for, for a while. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah. So I played that little thing for probably two or three years. And then my dad... I don't know. I can't remember exactly where this other mandolin came from, but I'm sure we, um, he either bought it or traded another instrument. Dad always liked to, he he would trade on instruments just like he would pocket knives or anything. (laughs) um, uh, We got a, an A style Gibson at some point that somebody had painted orange. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it, it, uh, it was a better mandolin than the one that I was playing. So um, I, I played that little thing for uh, another few years. And then uh, Dad finally got me a an Epiphone Gibson that was, you know, decent mandolin for uh, a teenager or whatever that was just kind of still learning. And funny thing is, is that I started on the mandolin and, and it's something that I, like I said, I feel real connected to that instrument. But I've never really owned like a really quality high priced mandolin. Um, I've always had decent, you know, good mandolins, but, um, but, you know, Sierra has, has several good mandolins. Fortunately. (laughs) Yeah. And so I always end up playing one of hers usually. And if anybody's seen me play mandolin in the last, several years it's probably been the uh the weber fern uh i really like that mandolin and i end up playing it quite a bit this uh distressed model that, that she's got um really has a nice uh you know woody tone to it I, i've always liked this mandolin a lot after you got past turkey in the straw what were some of the tunes that you were sitting down and studying when you were really digging in to mandolin were you uh, um, cause you're a little bit younger. So were you d- going back into like old style stuff or were you listening to like some of the more newer players? I would say that for the most part, I didn't learn a whole lot more tunes for a while because, um, the family gospel band was, uh, you know, I was playing music with them all the time. That was really my primary outlet to get to play. And I, I was learning new songs as they would learn a new gospel song you know i would learn how to play the melody on that song oh so, nice yeah you know that was what you know was driving me probably for another 
another year or two beyond, you know, I, you know, I, I probably was taking lessons at age seven or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> At the ripe old age of ripe old age of seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then like I'm saying, you know, um maybe for a, another year or two after that it was mostly tunes. At some point along the way though, my dad did um get to the point of taking me to some some jam sessions, uh bluegrass jams and uh there was a guy named Sherman Watson had a, a jam every month out in Madisonville, Tennessee, at a little building. And I got to go out there a few times. Once you start doing that, really, um, I know for me, it was just whatever they were playing, you know, is what I would uh, be trying to to learn how to do. And I don't know, there may have been tunes a lot of times that they would play that, that I might not learn the name of at the time. <laughs> sure. And, yeah. And then, uh, and then it took it took a little while. I think I was probably twelve or thirteen before we really started listening to a whole lot of bluegrass stuff. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was uh, around that age that I I got a cassette of Doyle Awesome and. Uh, That made a big impression on me, and around that same time, I we were watching TV on a on a Saturday night and uh, caught the Austin City Limits that Allison Krauss and Union Station had recorded probably the year before that. I think it was, I think they did it in '91, and, and I don't know if we saw it then or it might have been '92 before I actually saw it, but um, that made a big impression on me too. Oh my gosh, I bet everybody in that band basically <laughs> but uh it's like a band those, of yous <laughs> <laughs> well probably i probably that you know i've always uh said this too that like I, I like so watching a band like union station at that time at that age it's not like i could just hone in on one of those instruments and be like i want to be able to play like that i wanted to, to do all of them <laughs> that was the thing like, i wanted to know how they all worked and and I feel like that's what drove me over time to to learn the instruments uh, each individually. Sort of, I I know that before that age of like twelve or thirteen, it was mostly mandolin and a little little guitar. You know, I had picked it up and played around with it some too since Dad played. But um, anything else was just kind of tinkering around. If Dad might have had a dobro or fiddle at some point along the way, but Around that age of 12 or 13, when we got into bluegrass, I, I wanted to learn to play the banjo. And so I, I really spent a lot of time with banjo at that age and tried to try to figure out the role thing, you know. How long did you play with the family band for? Oh, well, from age seven, I was still doing it some up into my 20s. Uh, I don't remember exactly which year we kind of, sort of quit but um yeah that's it was a long time actually probably 
yeah, um, 12, 15 years probably. There's nothing like playing in a band to help hone chops too. That's like a whole nother level of experience that you just don't get sitting in a room woodshedding. No, yeah, and, and I think that was a, a big advantage for me, although, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but even just having a uh, family that, that played, you know, right there directly with me, you know, it was, <laughs> right. I, think it was I think it was a big deal, really. Uh, I um, I sat around and played a lot with, you know, records. I, I say records, I mean, at the time, for me, it was cassettes and then CDs after that, but I sit and played with them a lot, and I think that's important, you know, for for players to do. But at the same time, there's nothing like actually playing with people. So, how did you practice? How did you find it? So, not, you're playing dobro and banjo and guitar and mandolin. Like, did you have like a regimented sort of thing that you were doing to get good at everything, or were there just like times where you would just focus for months or years on one instrument and kind of randomly pick up the others? It was more focused like that, like uh, you know, like I said uh, on on banjo from age twelve or thirteen, whatever it was when I first started that. I really, when I was practicing, it was probably mostly that for a while, and and that's not to say that I wouldn't also play on the other instruments. I still would pick them up and do this or that, but as far as really being interested in improving and getting better i spent a lot of time with that so each time there's usually probably more of an uh an event or something that that caused me to or or an opportunity or, or something you know I, I think back to even as far as like when i was age 22 or something like that um i was in the band blue moon rise and that, that that's a band that uh, i got in Pretty soon after high school, we made a couple records, and on the second record we made, we hired Rob Ikes to play on, and he came to the studio, and you know he was just sitting there warming up playing scales. But for me at the time, I I was blown away by that. Like I, I just never heard anybody be able to play even scales like he was doing them, and so that. Just watching him close like that, being up close with him, like really inspired me to to want to spend some time with the Dobro. So I mean, um, I just told somebody that the other day, and they were like, "Yeah, you can. That can go either way. You can either want to go home and, <laughs> and burn your instrument, or or do a work on it." But for me at the time, it really made me want to work at it. So um, that was like an event I think that happened. Something that happened that really inspired me to spend time with a particular instrument. So when you pick up these different instruments, is it a completely different mindset for each instrument? Is there some similarities in the playing and, and different things like that as far as mastering them? I think now I probably sort of have a mind, a different mindset for the different instruments. But I know when I was first starting to learn, like say from mandolin to guitar, you know, having the, the mandolin knowledge first, I know that I did take just basic ideas, you know, of, you know, the scales, for instance, or I, I really didn't even learn scales or, or know what they were even at that young of age, but I knew like the, the distance between uh, certain notes or, you know, or like the fact that there were, you know, um, 
you know, from B or A to B or whatever like that. Um, I think I, I think I took those sort of things, you know, from one instrument to the other, and then from like uh, like when I started playing banjo, probably in the same way I, I would have realized that the second, third, and fourth strings were the same, and that like anything that I fretted up there would would translate. So I think I took a lot of, you know, a lot of things from one instrument to the other and tried to, you know, use the similarities in my mind to my advantage. But then once you start really, you know, diving into an instrument a little further and you feel like, you know, if you can get to the point where you feel like, well, I've kind of got a grip on the basics here. I I do think, you know, you're, you can have a, a different, mindset toward maybe playing one instrument, you know, versus the other. If that makes sense at all. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and you, I mean, the the list of people you played with, man, I mean, it's just like, I know it says on stage or in the studio with you when I'm looking at your bio, but Alison Krauss, Del McCurry, who's on the new album? I woke up this morning and the sun refused to shine. That guy, that guy, he had some popularity for a while. Uh, <laughs> Emmy Lou Harris, Brad Paisley, Vince Gill, Bela Flack, Peter Frampton, Marty Stewart, Barry Gibb. I mean, dude, it's just like this, such a great list of people, man. That's so cool. How did you, how did you make that leap to suddenly, you know, playing with a family band? Then you got, you got in, um, you know, got in a band, started making some albums, but then all of a sudden you're, you're with the cream of the crop in studios and playing live. Yeah, you know, it was very, very gradual. Um, you know, it was a step up to me uh, when we started Blue Moon Rising. We we played, we were based out of East Tennessee. I grew up in, in Madisonville, and three of the guys in that band were from the same county, Monroe County, over in, in East Tennessee. And uh, we, we got played on local radio there quite a bit, and eventually started getting booked out a little uh, further and and really through playing in that band I I met people like Adam Steffi and and Ron Stewart that that when the um, Dan Tominski uh, decided to put a band together that was when Allison did the record with Robert Plant um, I had uh, I guess my name had come up, you know, through Adam and Ron who had seen me out on the road with, with those guys. Um, and getting that opportunity, you know, pro, you know, led me to, to other things. And it's just one, one little thing here and one little thing there, really, it, how it seems like it's worked, you know. Matt, do you have any... Uh... Do you have like one particular highlight so far in all of this that's been like, oh my gosh, how how am I here? Oh man, I, <laughs> you might have a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's been several of those. I'll say this: even just a couple years back, when I got to play on the 
CMA Awards. I think it was that, or it may have been just a, another event at the Country Music Hall of Fame. I ended up, you know, playing a thing. It was with Ricky Skaggs, and um, and Garth Brooks was there, and was just in the room. And like for some reason, they were, you know, they were sitting there talking, just like anybody would talk. But, but it just struck me, like, okay, I'm in the room right now, just with with Ricky Skaggs and Garth Brooks, and. and <laughs> That just doesn't seem right to me <laughs> somehow. <laughs> like oh, I'm not funny. sure how this circumstance ever came to be, but yeah. And then the whole thing with with getting to play with Garth, you know, a couple times at like just uh, those are sort of random of <laughs> uh, shows or events or whatever. Um, I think I played with Garth at a ASCAP Awards a, a few years back, and. Uh, and it was the kind of thing that I got called by um, Dave Pomeroy, the union head, to, you know, they were putting together a band to to do these particular songs. They were, it was a tribute to Ricky, and uh, Garth was going to be playing at it. And so I show up with the banjo and know that, you know, I'm playing with the band or whatever. And then um, at some point along the line, they're like, no, you get up here in front. Like, it's going to be, like, they when they introduced it, they introduced us as, like, Garth Brooks featuring Sam Bush and Justin Moses. And I'm like, (laughs) this seems like the most surreal thing to be happening right now, you know, because I would never have thought I would ever hear my name with those names. So that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. Do you have anybody that, that you haven't played with that you, that you um, would love to play with that? That's just not happened yet. Yeah, um, I probably could name off a, a, a big list, uh, <laughs> but I'll say one of the people that I've, uh, well, I got to sit down and maybe jam a tune here or there with, but I, I would love to be able to perform with in some form or fashion sometime as Chris Bailey. Like he's, you know, somebody that's my age, basically, we're pretty similar, but I've never really gotten to to do do much playing with really, but he's, you know, so amazing and so, uh, brilliant, you know, uh, I would love to get the chance to, to play at some point, you know? Yeah. I'm, I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> that seems like that's, uh, that could definitely happen easily. You know, that'd be a great, yeah, yeah man, that's a good one. You know, there's a, the, the, the thing for me is, uh, there's a lot of people that, I didn't get to play with, or like, for instance, I never really got to play with, with Tony Rice, you know, and we just lost him. People, yeah, I think of those sort of things sometimes um, as being regretful that, you know, maybe I didn't get into it <laughs> earlier or, or whatever, you know, but um, but there's so many great players and, and, and heroes that, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to get everybody in. <laughs> Well, I mean, your list already is just, it is so amazing to me. I mean, that's just great, you know, and it's so varied. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of these names happened as a result of playing with, with Ricky, really. Like uh, the the Barry Gibb thing that happened playing with Ricky. And, and uh, he came and played the Opry one night, and we were doing uh, Staying Alive on, oh, on the Opry. Wow. And... Again, that's another one of those surreal moments where you go, 
<laughs> I could never even have imagined this like in my wildest dreams or whatever. But it's one of those crazy things that, you know, every now and again, something like that happens and you're like, well, here we are. <laughs> and this, this is, this is a cool moment. So you played, when you're playing these other bands, you played in, with some, with some pretty killer mandolin players. And I just wondering if maybe like, um, like if Dan Tominsky or obviously Ricky Skaggs, are there any pieces of advice mandolin wise that you were able to maybe pick their brains, you know, on the road or different times when you had some downtime that you kind of helped you advance as a mandolin player? That's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm probably less of a person to ask that kind of stuff, but at the same time, I, I got so much from each one of them. I really did like just playing on stage, um, really with each one of them. Like I can definitely look back on my time with, with Ricky and, and know that, you know, I took a lot away from playing with him, just the energy and, and fire that he plays with. And uh, with Adam, you know, uh, he he plays so precise and, and so, uh, you know, pristine. I took a lot away from that. Um, and even, you know, playing with Sierra a lot, like I feel like, you know, it's a lot the same thing. Like I, I feel like, uh, I have taken a lot away from just, uh, you know, getting to play really closely with her. And, uh, shoot, I mean, uh, I, I was in Blue Highway for a, a year or so. And uh, I feel like Sean Lane's a great mandolin player that I also enjoyed standing there and getting to, to listen to play, you know, for, you know, every night or every show that we played. And, uh, I've just, I've been really blessed in that regard so um i don't i can't really point to particular pieces of advice from them but i know that i i definitely am influenced any any time i'm around uh, a player of that caliber for any amount of time i i definitely start to Sierra last because she she will say like well now now you sound a little bit more like this person or <laughs> or now you sound a little bit more like them but I think that's how my whole you know life and music has been I, I I've taken uh, a lot of things from a lot of different people and hopefully at at some point along the way it starts to come out sounding like you know yourself or or whatever well and that kind of leads us to the album because these the tunes that you um that you penned on there they sound I mean they sound original. They don't sound like, I mean, you know how it is with bluegrass <laughs> and I guess any music, yeah, it's yeah, the same with yeah. country. It's the same with rock and roll. You know, you put on XM radio and, and, you know, sometimes it's tough to tell some of the bands apart and, right. you know, and, and this album is, man, it's, it's wonderful. And the first thing I got to ask you is the first track and the, and the, the title track is, is an Eric Clapton tune tell me why did I fall in love with you tell me why did I fall in love with you tore me all to pieces cut me half in two Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I fall in love with you? Tell me why did I
but it is definitely yeah. not one of the most popular Eric Clapton tunes. It, it, it's actually off of the album Pilgrim, which was kind of yep. like an experimental album for Clapton. He came from that really bluesy album, and then this one was a little bit more, um, a little bit more kind of like I think it might have some drum machines maybe even on it for a couple tunes. How did you, uh-huh. how did you pick this tune? <laughs> okay, well. In the process of trying to figure out some some songs to record, like I've been really wanting to make an album for quite a while. I, I'm I made a, a solo album about 15 years ago, just on my own, and uh, I made a an instrumental EP about five years ago. Now I guess it is maybe six years ago now, uh, but and and I'm always kind of trying to collect songs and and, and uh, put things back in, in the back of my mind of things to record. I, I had asked several of my friends for songs, and one of them was Keith Garrett that I used to, to be in that band with, Blue Moon Rising. And um, he he writes some songs, but he doesn't necessarily write a lot of songs. So I just I called him up and asked him, you know, he, do you have anything? And at the time, he was like, I really have not been writing much, so I don't know that I have anything. <laughs> But he he said, but there's this Eric Clapton song that uh, that I think you would sing really well because you know he had thought that it would make a good bluegrass song, and and I listened to it and I thought it was I thought he was spot on that that uh, it would work, and and so it was sort of his idea to do it do to do the song in general, but he uh, you know he gave me his blessing to, to, to <laughs> do it, bluegrass, you know, do it as a bluegrass. And, uh, so that's, that's really how that came about. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm even uh, a huge Eric Clapton fan. I'm not, not a fan of his. I just haven't really dug into his music, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like a different, it's a little bit of a different world too, from, you know, you, you've been real busy with, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of music in a, in oh, yeah, a you know definitely. so yeah I, I can completely get that well and and <laughs> i'll tell you what i listened to the album probably three or four times before i looked at like the liner notes and different things like that and when i read there was an eric clapton song on there i didn't even know i had to look and see which yeah. song it was and i'm like get <laughs> out of here so yeah. man way to way to make it way to make it your own man that's that's great Oh man, yeah. Well, that was the the idea of, of of doing it. It's like I wanted to to put some kind of spin on it. And then the the, the next track, Tax Land. I mean, this is almost really not fair <laughs> when you look at the lineup. It's you <laughs> and Sierra, um, Brian Sutton, Michael Cleveland, and Barry Bales. And it, I mean, it sounds like it. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is amazing. How did that one come about for you? Yeah, so that is a tune that that I came up with um, as a result of of deciding I wanted to write a tune one day. But it was it was around the time of of Del Fest in 2018. Uh, I had a set there with Cody Kilby. We had a duo set that year, and we'd we'd been working up some material and figuring out what we were going to play. And I just felt like, okay, well, we need something, you know, up-tempo, sort of, maybe in a minor key. You know, I, I was thinking all these things. And so I sit down to do it. And I also, I even had in mind, like, well, I want to come up with something that's sort of, 
Grisman-esque or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just what came out when I sat down that day. And, and uh, it was <laughs> it was in the spring, and I'd been working on my taxes. And so, <laughs> you know, when you, when you write tunes, sometimes they're hard to name, but sometimes you just give a song like a, a faux name or, or something where you can just say to somebody else what you're talking about, you know, even if you've not really named the song that. But, um Sometimes those names end up sticking, and that's what happened with this. <laughs> I just named it Taxland because I was sitting there probably doing my taxes about ten or fifteen minutes before I wrote the tune, and then and then uh, that's that's what we ended up just keeping the name out. The war was raging around her, shouting in anger and fear. It was so far beyond understanding. She was all about eight or ten years She lost mom and dad in the bombing Little sister was spared in the blast They walked across the sand seeking refuge Or to something like mercy at last Walking across the desert Walking on and on Walking Walking to Lebanon, that is a cool tune. Um, and I'd love to know maybe the, the story on that one. That's a really interesting one. Yeah, so I feel like the, yeah, like it's probably got the coolest backstory probably of any of the songs on it because uh, we had, um, Sierra and I, I went with her on a trip to London to promote her Daybreak record. And while we were there, we came upon uh, like a group of protesters that were there uh, from Syria. And uh, that's the first time in my life that I'd really been that up close to to people in the streets protesting. And uh, it made a big impression on me. And I know, you know, I had... I, you know, I, I've watched the news and I keep try to keep up with world events. And, you know, I'd been watching and sort of knew a little bit about what was going on. But um, after that, I kept seeing more and more about it on the news. And then there was a story about the little girl that, um, I mean, there's more than one little girl, but this one particular story stood out to me uh, about this girl that lost both her mom and dad and was, you know, just walking walking uh, across the desert with her little sister trying to make it to uh, to Lebanon. Uh, and I had told the story to my co-writers of this song, uh, Peter Cooper and, and Tom Utes. I told them, really, to me in my mind, I was just kind of explaining the setup to what I wanted to start writing the song. I actually didn't mean necessarily for us to write a song about both of these things, but that's sort, of, that's sort of what happened, you know, in that day. And, um, I was, I was really pleased with how it came out, but, you know, in addition to, to that, the fact that it came from, you know, that trip and then further news stories about, you know, what was going on in Syria at the time, you know, I decided to have musicians from that, 
part of the world on, on the track. Um, and to do that, luckily, like two or three years after we had went to London to, to do some promotion, we got to do this uh, American Music Abroad trip where we, uh, it was only a two week trip, but we traveled all the way around the earth, basically. We spent <laughs> <laughs> wow. a week in Micronesia, which is in the, um, you know, lower uh, Pacific uh, Southwest. Like, uh, it's near, um, well, it's in the middle of the ocean. It's really not near, hardly near anything. <laughs> but, um, we, we spent a week there and then we went from there to the West Bank. And uh, so in the West Bank, you know, we played with musicians that played Oud and Tabla. And, uh, so I was familiar with, with those sounds. And then when I got the idea that I wanted that on this record, I, I called up or messaged the guy that um, got us on that trip to begin with. I've sort of stayed in touch with him uh, through the years, just through Facebook and uh, that sort of thing. And yeah, he was able to hook me up with a couple of guys that uh, that play Oud and Tabla and, and had them basically play the intro to that song i love the variety on on the album it's it's great it's and it's it goes by so quick i mean it's (laughs) i mean in a good way like that you know like i'm always like every time the last song locust hills on i'm like oh geez it's like time flies (laughs) you know and i think that's a great sign of an album not like you know you're like oh my gosh i'm still listening to the same thing Well, you know, I think I've always went with the with the idea of leave them wanting more. <laughs> hopefully, that that you know that would be the goal anyway. I, I'm you know, hopefully that that worked out. But do you have a favorite track on the album? Oh gosh, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite track, but I will say that like in the studio, when we got through, I think. Well, it was day one, basically, in the studio. We, we tracked uh, four or five, three or four tunes that day. And, man, listening back, I, I really love the, the music and the groove and everything on Fall Like Rain. And I, I think that's – I knew after just the first listen back, after going away from it for a little bit, oh, this is my first track, you know? Yeah, it works as a first track for sure. So, good good choice. When you record I, we, we were talking a little bit before this um before we started recording um you guys did the uh, when I interviewed Sierra she had mentioned the song that she did on that Hartford um I really should call it a tribute album it's Hartford's songs that he never recorded. Um yeah. and, and you guys recorded it right there and so I'm wondering if you have kind of like a mandolin setup recording cuz you know you spent some time recording and mixing and stuff um any hints for obviously home recording is a big thing right now because nobody can <laughs> nobody can leave right. their homes um yeah you know any tips for trying to get some good sounds on mandolin when you're recording or if you have like a setup that you like to use yeah well i, I feel like you know i like to experiment around a little bit with with things but uh you know lately or i'll say this like even from several years back to now, I, I really, the idea for me is usually to keep things as simple, as simple as possible, you know, to try to get good sound. And, uh, so I, I really use that principle a lot, you know, really for us here, 
right now it's just you know the computer the interface the microphone and the instrument basically that's that's about what we use the the interface that i'm using a lot right now is just uh um oh gosh i started to say it now forget the name of the the brand but anyway it has uh you know preamps built into it that sound pretty decent and is it universal audio no, um, we just got one of those, uh, and I've not really mastered. Um, there's a little bit more to the one that we got. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've not really just had time to sit down with that yet. But, sure. Um, do you do like a one one mic setup or a two mic setup for one? Like if you're recording mandolin. Usually, I do two on the mandolin, but it really depends. You know, it depends on the application, but. Um, I like to have the option anyway of two and, uh, yeah, certain, certain things I've done one and it, it works out just fine, but, but I generally go, go with two by default. What kind of mics do you use? We've got several options on that. Um, Sierra's got a pair of, uh, sure. One thirty sevens that sound pretty good on it. Oh, cool. And, and, uh, Either that or, you know, we use the large diaphragm condensers sometimes. We have a, a Sure uh, 44 and uh, we have a 103 Neumann that uh, sometimes we use, something like that. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's usually one of those yeah. bikes or two, two, a pair of the, of, of, you know, a combination of two of those. Awesome stuff. I mean, you guys must have the the jam sessions at your your house have got to be just, I mean, uncanny. <laughs> oh man! Well, we uh, we occasionally have a, a a really good time, you know, playing playing music together um, at home. We we probably don't play as much as a lot of people might think, you know. Just uh, yeah, it's like work. Just <laughs> yeah. You know, like a lot, of, a lot of times, if we're especially if we're on the road a lot or something, when we come home, we just kind of unwind or whatever. But uh, no, it's uh, it's really cool to have somebody that that good and that that inspiring to to, to play along with. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I mean, both you guys are so good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully we can, uh, you know, that we we inspire and and drive each other a lot of times, you know. What's something that you've? Is there anything that you've picked up, mandolin wise, from from playing so much with Sierra that that you've found really ingrained into your playing that might not have been there beforehand? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think I can say that. Like, you know, she plays so clean and so pristine that it has influenced me to be aware of that, like to just uh, try to make each note as clear as possible. And uh, and I would like to think that maybe, you know, somewhere along the line, like I, I influence her a little bit on just being a little grittier at times or, or whatever. I think we kind of have, uh, you know, a little bit of, um, opposite things there that we can uh, influence each other a little bit with, but yeah, like she, she's such a, a just a fluid um, and 
pristine player that like I feel like that's the thing that stands out to me that that when I play with her I feel like I don't want you know her to play uh, a really clean pristine <laughs> thing and then for me to come in behind her and play that's not that sounds you know uh, like I, I can't fret the next one or something so uh, there's a certain uh, uh, just boost there I think having somebody that's that good to play along with it just you know lifts your whole game a little bit too and makes you makes you want to to try harder you know though on the on the tracks that that you play mandolin and she plays mandolin I mean I can't tell the difference <laughs> but I, I say that in the highest compliment well, that one, that song is was really fun to do and put together. And and you know, I mentioned writing that for the uh, the set with, with Cody, and then Sierra and I started doing it in our duo show some. And I, I knew, like after we played together, that I had to record it like that with both of us playing because she just brings so much uh, energy to it and. And again, it's like having her on the song made me play probably, you know, five times better than I would have. <laughs> so, uh, it's a big credit to her, but like it, uh, it definitely is fun to, to play off of somebody like that. And then, you know, on that track, you mentioned Mike Cleveland, like I, for whatever reason, I, I, after thinking about having a band play on it, I just knew, oh, well, I have to see if I can get Mike on that one because I just, it just seems like the kind of thing that he would, um, would slay. <laughs> I feel like, you know, he, he played it exactly as I would have hoped, you know? And again, the entire album is like that. Like the entire album is just from, from, open to close, just a great album. All the, the songs are great. The, the playing's great. The sound is great. Um, I'm, 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 I'm stoked for people to check it out. I'm, I'm so excited that you're on here ahead of time so we could talk about it before it comes out to the public, man. Cause, uh, I it just, it's, it's a great album. Man, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm looking forward to people getting to hear it. You know, it's like you work for, a long time on something and actually, you know, just given the circumstances and everything in the world, we, we really debated on when to put it out and everything. And I think at some point we just sort of decided, well, let's, let's put it out in January and, you know, we'll put out some singles beforehand and everything, which that would have been the plan anyway, but it's a hard time to know when to release it, but uh, I hope people will, We'll give it a, a listen and give it a, a chance anyway. Well, man, I got two more questions for you. And, um, All right. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And Yeah, no, man, thank you for, for taking the time and having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So uh, the first question is, if you had 10 minutes a day to pick up the mandolin and work on something to get better, what would you work on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would, I, I wouldn't necessarily work on just one thing, but I would, uh, I would definitely noodle around a lot and try to find things that I can make into a tune. So I, I use that as a, a tool to write tunes a lot of times. 
So I would definitely spend part of my time doing that. And then I would, I would work on speed and clarity, you know, for the other, uh, five minutes or <laughs> six minutes or might be. Yeah. How would you, how would you approach that? The, the speed and clarity, how would you spend those five minutes working on that? Yeah. Well, I would either pick a tune and try to speed it up and keep speeding it up and, and try to keep the, the clarity at the same time or just pick a, 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 a random or, or <laughs> a random set of notes or a, a scale of some sort and, and just work. I don't sit around and play a lot of scales, but you know, sometimes I'll uh, use just a major scale or something to, to do that sort of work with or something. Yeah. Perfect. And then normally this would be where I'd get to the beer question. But as you're yeah. not a beer guy, my my right. alternate question is: What is your favorite tune to play right now on mandolin? Oh gosh, um, well, I really like playing uh, Billy in the Low Ground. Oh yeah, love it. That's a good one, and uh, and I've you know on and off Sierra and I play Cattle and the Cane together quite a bit, but. If I'm just sitting down to play, but you know, to warm up, that one comes up a lot for me. I really like that tune. So, Matt, so congratulations on the album, and thank you so much for uh, for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Man, thanks again for having me on. This has been fun, and I, uh, you know, hopefully, eventually, we can do it again. Absolutely. All right, Justin Moses, that was a fun one. Thank you so much to Justin for doing it. Uh, be sure to go out. The album comes out Friday, and it's so good. You, you guys are going to love it. I'm sure of it. So check it out, and I'll talk to you all next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.